earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me today on A Word from the Word. Today is part seven in our series, Scrutinizing Scripture. Can we believe our Bible? In part six, Lost in Translation? Not. We underscored the Bible's absolute uniqueness in its translation history, particularly the impressive number of translations of the Bible when compared to standard printed works of literature. Last time I said that few books see 13 or more translations, yet we now have over 2,200 languages for which the Bible or portions of it have been translated. Friends, if current translation rates continue, it's expected that the Bible will become available to almost all language groups by the projected year of 2022. Just think of this. We may be close to witnessing the world's first universally translated book. Well, today, friends, equally exciting is contemplating history from a biblical perspective. Today's part seven is History is His Story. Back in 1960, singer Sam Cooke recorded the song Wonderful World, which included the phrase, Don't Know Much About History. And I'm saddened to say that regarding the Bible, even many Christ followers are sorely ignorant of its record of history. In the early 1800s, Georg Hegel said, History teaches us that man learns nothing from history. A sad fact indeed. Well, let's refresh ourselves of some things a few of the New Testament writers wrote about their history, their time-honored scriptures, if you will. We now call it the Old Testament. How about 2 Timothy 3, 14-16? Paul is speaking to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. In chapter 1, verse 5, we discover this was Timothy's mother and grandmother, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, in other words, the Old Testament, is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. How about Romans 15.4? Paul's speaking to the Roman Christians. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures— 
we might have hope. And remember, friends, when New Testament authors speak of the Scriptures, they mean our Old Testament. How about Second Peter 1, 19-21? So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own peculiar interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but individuals moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It would sure seem to me, friends, that the New Testament writers would say, History teaches us that we can learn something from history. In addition, here's what the early followers of Jesus thought about their own writings, which ultimately became our New Testament scriptures. Here's 1 Thessalonians 2.13, written to the Thessalonian believers. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. How about Second Peter 3? 15 and 16, written to the scattered believers. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Friends, I'm curious if you find it as interesting as I do that Paul's letters were already being referred to as scripture. Do we realize that this would be totally sacrilegious for a nice Jewish boy to call someone's letters scripture unless the authority of the living God was imprinted on them? Curious, just how does God imprint his authority on these words, now bound in a book we call the Bible? How can we recognize the one true God's stamp or seal of approval on these documents? And what gives us Christ followers the right to claim that this book alone is breathed out by God? That God literally went like this, and on key individuals, and the result was the written word of God. Well, it's often been said that the Greeks had a word for it, but this time the credit goes to German theologians. The word they coined was Heilgeschichte. Now there's a mouthful and a singular word. And friends, I bet you're thinking, is this really going to matter in my everyday life? In what I'm going through today? And you know what? I'm actually going to hold off on answering that right now because I firmly believe you will have your answer. Friends, this German word Heilgeschichte literally means salvation history. And let's take a look at Genesis chapter 10 for a moment. I'm going to begin with the closing verse of chapter 9. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. 
Then chapter 10, 1 goes on. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, then his seven sons are listed. Then his son Gomer's three sons are listed with their descendants with this tagline. From these the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. Then Noah's son Ham is listed with their descendants, and this tagline is included. Cush, one of Ham's sons, was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kalne in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kela, and Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kela, which is the great city. Egypt, one of Ham's sons, was the father of the Ludites. Is this getting boring yet? Because this is only the first half of chapter 10. Friends, I invite you to read the whole chapter, but I'll go ahead and share the last verse. Verse 32. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their line of descent, within their nations. From these the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. So, let's all admit that we don't know much about history, as Sam Cooke once sang in 1960. I'll confess, friends, that in high school, history was one of my hated subjects. Honestly, it wasn't till I dedicated my life to Christ that the subject of history came alive. Friends, even our New Testament won't let us get away with being derelict in knowing history. Listen to how Matthew chapter 1 begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Friends, is this getting boring yet? Shame on us if it is. After all, every Christmas, we just leapfrog over the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1 and jump to verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. But how about verse 17 that concludes those genealogies? Thus there was fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. Or how about the genealogy in Luke 3, where it begins, Now Jesus himself was about thirty years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum. Friends, is this getting boring yet? Are you sure reading those names didn't just minister to you in a mighty way? Because, friends, 
There's Heilgeschichte. There's salvation history staring us right in the face on the pages of our Bible. You see, friends, the mistake many critics and skeptics make, and we need to be careful we don't fall into the same trap, is thinking that the Bible is merely history, and that all it contains is dusty records of a bygone era, records that seem inconsistent and riddled with errors and contradictions. But friends, it's imperative that we understand the biblical records as Heilgeschichte. History, yes, but not merely history. Not history alone, but history with a purpose. History with a goal, a divine goal, if you will. History that is saturated with and enveloped with the will and working of a divine mind the divine mind of God himself. Now, even though German theologians coined this term, Heilgeschichte, its underlying concept was actually drawn out of and deduced from Scripture itself, initially under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the authors and writers of our Old Testament, and then subsequently through the authors and writers through our New Testament a phrase commonly used in theological circles and writings, but shouldn't be limited to them, is the mighty acts of God, liberally sprinkled throughout the Psalms, especially the history Psalms as 105, 106, and 107, where this phrase also morphs into God's wonders or his wonderful acts, even signs and miracles. And what we discover that is meant by these related phrases is that God has acted and still acts in human history in providential and supernatural ways to reveal his power and authority in the lives of both people groups and individuals and in the circumstances of life. Well, friends, perhaps now we're beginning to get an inkling of the relevance and importance of knowing the concept of Heilgeschichte, or salvation history. We Christ followers have to grab onto this notion that underlies all of human history, that there's a divine plan and purpose so we can understand that there is meaning to all of life, no matter how shrouded in mystery it seems sometimes in this life. Life has meaning when God enters the equation of our lives. For the Israelites, one particular mighty act of God that forever etched in their minds that they were a part of the salvation history plan of their God, Yahweh, was the Exodus experience, specifically the Red Sea crossing. And, as we know from Scripture, Israel's personal journey with the Lord was sprinkled with mighty acts of God, such as the Exodus story I just mentioned, an example of God's mighty act in the life of a whole people group. Or the Joseph story, an example of God's mighty act in the life of an individual. 
You see, friends, the key here is for each one of us to keep a spiritual portfolio, as I like to call it, of the mighty acts of God in our own lives and allow these salvation history events, which I like to call God incidents, to shape our understanding of God's will and working in our lives. And as we flesh these out in our day-to-day experiences, We carry in the depths of our soul the assurance that God is really in control, that he really does have a divine plan and purpose for us, and that it's only living that out that gives us peace and serenity in this life. Amen. And friends, this is precisely where our witness matters to the world around us, a world that is overshadowed with aimlessness, meaninglessness, no life goals that have ultimate meaning, let alone thinking far enough ahead into eternity. Just think of what these past months have brought us. Now, recall earlier that I said this recurring phrase, the mighty acts of God, or its variations, crop up first in the Old Testament, and it shaped the way national Israel viewed their relationship with God and his supernatural interventions in their lives. I mentioned Psalms 105, 106, and 107 as key history-recalling psalms. And I'd like to recommend you read these three psalms together in one sitting. For now, I'd like us to recall Genesis 10. Genesis 10 is affectionately referred to as the Table of Nations. The distinguished archaeologist Professor William F. Albright once remarked, it, referring to Genesis 10, stands absolutely alone in ancient literature without a remote parallel. Even among the Greeks, the table of nations remains an astonishingly accurate document. I wonder, friends, if we even realize that five centuries of Israel's history is recorded in First Samuel through Second Chronicles. You know, Chronicles, the book you just can't wait to read for daily devotions. First and Second Chronicles are known as the Insomniac's favorite books. Bible scholars marvel that the Israelites had such a knack, even a genius, for constructing history. It is believed that Old Testament embodies the oldest surviving historical writings. Professor Albright also makes an insightful observation regarding this knack, this genius of Israel. Hebrew national tradition excels all others in its clear picture of tribal and family origins. In Egypt and Babylon, in Assyria and Phoenicia, in Greece and Rome, we look in vain for anything comparable. There's nothing like it in the tradition of the Germanic peoples, Neither India nor China can produce anything similar since their earliest historic memories are literary deposits of distorted dynastic tradition with no trace of the herdsman or peasant behind the demigod or king with whom their records begin. Neither in the oldest Indic historic writings, the Puranas, nor the earliest Greek historians is there a hint of the fact 
that both Indo-Aryans and Hellenes were once nomads who immigrated into rulers, whose names they recalled without any details about their deed, were tent-dwellers, but whence they came has been long forgotten. The ancient world has many different devices for determining the future, known as divination, but not in the entire gamut of Greek and Latin literature, even though they use the words prophet and prophecy, can we find any real specific prophecy of a great historic event to come into the distant future, nor any prophecy of a savior to arise in the human race. You see, friends, it becomes clear that the Bible focuses on real life, not imagined life. The Bible's portrayal of history is not sanitized history either. The Bible presents the good, the bad and the ugly, the right and the wrong, the best and the worst, hope and despair, joy and pain. The Bible portrays life in the real world, by real historians who not only become historians, but who become theological historians, as I like to say. Theological historians who, under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, arrange their truthful portrayals of history in such a way that through history they include a deeply spiritual message for us humans. While it may be somewhat true that, generally speaking, history teaches us that man learns nothing from history, we are still privileged to have Heilgeschichte, a divinely guided salvation history that actually teaches us that we can learn a lot from history, especially history that has been guided by the divine hand of the living God who transmitted to us his divine and living word. The Hebrew prophet Amos said it best in Amos 3, 7, Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So friends, you might be thinking, Pastor Tom, what's the point here? Well, the point of all this seemingly gobbledygook is that other religious or sacred writings, and you probably can think of a bunch, all claim so-called divine inspiration. But none of these books contain accurate history, untainted by mythical traditions, let alone accurate predictive history, both messianic and prophetic, in other words, end-time or apocalyptic Fulfilled prophetic history, or prophecy, is one of the strongest indications that the Bible is unique, that points to its truly divine origin and authority. You see, friends, the Bible doesn't begin with long ago in a galaxy far, far away. The Bible begins with in the beginning God. The Apostle John, in the fourth gospel in the New Testament, makes a direct connection to the Bible's opening declaration with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God.
and with relation to predictive history, and by that I'm including predictions regarding the destiny of nations, cities, people groups, as well as prophecies concerning the coming of the Jewish Messiah, an insightful observation is made by Wilbur Smith, professor of English Bible at Moody Bible Institute. Whatever one may think of the authority of and the message presented in the book we call the Bible, there's worldwide agreement that in more ways than one, it is the most remarkable volume that has ever been produced in these some 5,000 years of writing on the part of the human race. It is the one volume ever produced by mortal man or a group of men in which is to be found a large body of prophecies relating to individual nations, to Israel, to all the peoples of the earth, to certain cities, and to the coming of the one who was to be the Messiah. The most unlikely convert, Paul, knew the significance of his own writings, when he said in Romans 15, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And when he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at near the end of today's program. Today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. Remember, friends, the podcasts are freely accessible at faithtalk1360.com. And if a word from the Word has blessed you, please consider becoming a support team member. Just ask for the details. Listeners like you help keep this program on the air. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember... Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 